Hi there. Welcome to the podcast. So glad you could join me today. On my way up to Kelowna with a load of steel, I've been doing a lot of one-day back and forths from Seattle to various points in British Columbia. It doesn't give me a lot of time to sit back and enjoy myself, but uh, it does pay the bills. And I'm very thankful that the Lord has blessed me with this work, that I'm able to pay the bills but still have freedom, peace and quiet. I don't have anyone looking over my shoulder to check on me, see how I'm doing. I, I'm a very good independent worker. I really give it a good solid effort, you know, work every day as unto the Lord. And I've never had an employer frustrated with my productivity. But a uh, few things I want to share with you guys, one of them very deeply concerning. Um, start off with the G7 meeting, world leaders gathering together, and many pictures coming out of that where they're all huddled together with no masks, no social distancing, no concern for COVID whatsoever. Um, but in front of the cameras, of course, the theater goes on. Now, I just still honestly to this day don't know how seriously to take COVID. I have been working front lines for over a year and a half now. In the middle of this quote-unquote pandemic, I take no precautions whatsoever. I'm not the least bit worried about it, and I'm just fine. No worries whatsoever. Um, we're hearing about the Delta variant, which is the India variant, rebranded, because we don't want to say that it came from India. We, we want to call it the Delta variant. So that's what they've done, is spreading in other countries. At a time when world leaders in the West are saying, let's open up, let's get everything going. And that's a two-edged sword. On the one hand, it's not flu season. And there's a lot of people that would like it to open up so they can enjoy their summer. But at the same time, is this Delta variant going to spread like wildfire while everyone's defenses are down? And when we come into the flu season this fall, we really have no idea what to expect. And I think at that time, if there is wide-scale sickness and suffering, at that time they're going to point at everyone who refused the vaccine. This is all your fault. That's just a consideration, something to put under your pillow and think about. Um, is there going to be some sort of blame cast on us even though we already know the vaccine efficacy, as published in The Lancet, is very, very low. Less than 1%. Uh, breakout or breakthrough cases are as high in number as, or in some cases higher, than in cases of unvaccinated sickness. So, you know, they tell us to follow the science, but what they claim isn't in fact science. So it's a very frustrating time to try and know what's wrong, what's right, what's true, what's a lie. But there is one piece of information that I've found that is very, very troubling. And I want you to try and take hold of how big the implications are of this study that was released by Thomas Jefferson University. And they 
for, for years and years, decades, scientists have believed that DNA writes the information for new DNA and RNA, that all RNA proceeds from that genetic information held by the DNA. It's a one-way street. Information does not go in, it only comes out. And RNA never has any job but to take information from the DNA and pass it on. Well, these researchers at Thomas Jefferson University found proof that RNA can write information onto DNA. Blowing everyone's minds, this isn't supposed to happen, but this article was just released June 11th. It's hot off the press. It's brand new information. The COVID vaccine was built with the understanding that RNA does not write information onto your DNA. It's a one-way street. This is the information they, they based their decisions on, and we're finding out right here and now that they were totally wrong, that RNA does, in fact, transcribe information onto DNA. I have seen people alarmed that it's going to change our DNA, and very smug, very self-assured types coming out and scoffing and mocking and laughing at them, you fool. Your DNA will not be altered. Well, it seems the smug crowd was completely wrong. DNA is being altered right now. And what this spells is complete disaster for humanity because we have no idea what the long-term effects of this injection are going to be, but it's too late. It's already so prolific so many millions and millions and millions of people have already received the vaccine that within a couple of generations it will be absolutely spread throughout the gene pool. The damage is done. And if you've heard previous podcasts, you've heard me say that God is not happy with genetic tampering as we can see through the way he treats the Nephilim, the Canaanites, the Rephaim, the, the ones who were a mixture of bloodlines, an abomination, not according to God's design and plans, but different. And just like GMO foods, we're now becoming GMO humans. And God's intervention in this, I believe very strongly, is soon coming. So I wanted to give you that information uh, I encourage you to do your own investigation, read these articles for yourself. Never trust the people around you that, you know, sometimes they run with information they very much believe is true. I've done that. And sometimes they will manipulate and massage the data to get the result they want. So it's very, very difficult at this point in time to know what the truth is. So... Keep your eyes open, seek spiritual guidance, seek discernment, but I want to also go into 2 Timothy chapter 3 with you guys today because this is an, a message about the end times that we desperately need to hear right here. And I'm hurriedly looking it up because I had changed my my Bible app to a different 
um, passage of Scripture I was looking up, so please forgive me as I go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3. He's warning um, his son, Timothy. Paul is warning his, his spiritual son, meaning he led Timothy to Christ, and he is Timothy's spiritual father, and he's writing this letter to Timothy. In verse 1, he says, But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. And this is something we need to really perk up our ears and listen to closely. The Apostle Paul knew some stuff. And he's saying, in the last days, difficult times, in other translations it says perilous times, will come. You and I are living in the last days right now. We are in the perilous times. We're in the difficult times. And Paul goes on to explain what makes them perilous. Men will be lovers of self. Now, many people have attributed this as to Paul describing society as a whole. But as we get further into this passage, Paul is not describing society as a whole. Paul is describing the church those who name the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and he's saying about them, they will be lovers of self. This is spread far and wide throughout Christianity today. We have become lovers of self. We have to accept that this is very widely spread in our culture to the point where narcissism is really the normal way to behave in our society. Lovers of self. Lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving. Now, if you spend any time at all on a Christian forum where many different Christians from many different backgrounds come together, you'll see these fruits for yourself. You'll see them clearly. Malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. They don't want to stop entertaining their lusts, chasing after their comforts and their pleasures. You see, God knows our heart. He knows when our heart is towards Him. He knows when our heart is towards the world. And He knows when our heart is divided or lukewarm. When we want God, but we also want all the comforts and pleasures available to us in this world. And he calls us to be single-minded, to set our minds on things above. To be concerned about the kingdom of God and not about the cares of this world which are passing away. But that is not common in Christianity any longer. For, for decades now, there has been teaching and preaching of accommodation. That it's alright to love the things of the world so long as we love God a little bit more and everyone smiles and nods and says that is wisdom not realizing they've raised up for themselves leaders to tickle their ears to tell them the things that they their itching ears want to hear hold now this is in verse 5 is where it gets really dark 
holding, and this is where it shows that Paul is talking about the Christian church, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Holding to a form of godliness, meaning on the outside they look like the church. They have the outward appearance as the Pharisees had the outward appearance. They're concerned about what they can get away with. I only drink a six-pack a week. Is that a sin? Well, you shouldn't have to ask people if something is a sin. You should have the Holy Spirit within you who bears witness, and you will know in your own convictions, you will know in your own spirit that what you're doing is not pleasing to God. You shouldn't have to go and ask someone else, um, is it alright if my fiancé and I live together, we're not going to sleep together, uh, but our, our apartments, the leases are almost up. Well, <laughs> we're playing games with God here. They knew that those apartment leases were going to be up in six months' time. And they could have moved their, their wedding day up. They didn't need to put themselves in this position. We're to avoid every appearance of evil. And they're trying to get justification for evil. Why is that? Because today, in many, many cases, people are holding to a form of godliness but denying the power. Now, what is the power... That, I'm, that Paul is talking about here. What power has the church denied? Well, Paul also addresses that same power in Romans chapter 1, where he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. And this is the way the gospel has been taught for generations and has been lost only in the past several decades. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. And in preaching the gospel, we seek the power of God to transform a carnal unbeliever into a new creation, not because they went through discipleship training, not because they attend a church service, but because they have been utterly transformed by the power of God. And we don't preach or teach that any longer. It's very rare for me to find someone who is preaching or teaching on the power of God to transform our lives. And because the church today lacks the power of God, people no longer have the victory over sin and over the pleasures and cares of this world that they are supposed to have. So as a result of that, when you have a building full of people who have been defeated by sin and have no power over sin, but they name the name of Jesus Christ as Lord, you have to adapt your doctrines to support that. And I see spread far and wide an ignorance towards sin, a, a very dismissive attitude towards sin. It's no big deal. I'm a sinner saved by grace. God loves me. And Jesus died so that my sins are paid for. And so, so, so many people continue living in sin, thinking they are going to heaven, but it's all a lie. It's all deception. They are fulfilling what Paul was speaking about right here.
that in the last days they would have a form of godliness, but would deny the power. So in closing, I hope and pray that not only you do not deny the power of God, which transforms and changes us, which gives us victory over sin, which allows us to live a life over conquering the flesh, conquering the grave, living like lights in this world. And I'll tell you, two of the biggest fruits from the power of God is joy and peace like you have never tasted in your life before. If you haven't yet partook of it, seek after it. God knows your heart. Uh, I'm, I can't remember, very seldom do I remember where it's written, but the verse says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And that is really good advice from the Word of God. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So we, we can't afford at this late hour to be double-minded. We can't afford to have a divided heart. We need to seek the Lord while he may be found. If we seek him, we will find him and we will partake of what Paul calls that heavenly gift, the joy, the peace, the freedom that the power of God floods our life with. I want everyone to have that. And I know that carnal believers are offended by those words because it takes their house of cards and blows on it. And they don't like that. They've, they've carefully constructed this house of cards over a number of years, and they don't want anyone messing with it. But guess what? On Judgment Day, God will knock it down anyways. It's better that it collapsed now and be rebuilt on stone and, and built properly, it's better to deal with it now than when it's too late. Thank you so much for joining me. May God bless you richly.